This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Spock, more like Spotticus. Salve lorum observatis cas, es nome num gepwin sum contactus amici isix. Bonjour? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I gave no warning for that. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, I don't know how to say hello in, or hi in, uh, in uh, Latin there. So, uh, yeah, that's as close as I can go. <laughs> that's what I started with. Salve. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> yes, welcome to Watches of Tomorrow. I am Gep, and I'm joined as always by Izix. Hi. <laughs> and, yeah, we're doing Roman junk. Um, you know, we, we could walk like an Egyptian, which was technically part of Rome, but that's not specifically Roman. So, um, how, how does one uh, walk as a Roman? I don't know. In robes? Um, I, I know. We walk along roads. Yes. Yes. There we go. <laughs> yeah. I loved that in the beginning of this episode. I forgot. Didn't include it because random dialogue stuff. It's just like, this planet has a great road system. Yep. Like that's like, supposed to clue well, us in, I guess. Yes. <laughs> hmm. But where do these roads go? Let's find out. We watched a episode called Bread and Circuses. Yes. We didn't see much bread, though. Anyway, yes. Nope. Gene Coons. It was written by Gene Roddenberry and Gene L. Coon. The two genes. Yes. Two genes. Genes, genetics. There's two genes. Are they a full chromosome? <laughs> this is one of the weirder uh, episodes. It, it varied directly. I think this might be the only episode that very, very directly references this theory that they have made up of parallel planet development. Yeah, the, uh, the thing that is so incredibly unlikely that it's just straight up laughable. And I know I, I've gone off a little bit on it previously, but yes. <laughs> yeah, the other episodes, they just showed up. It's like, oh my god, it's you know, planet, but gangsters. <laughs> oh my god, it's planet, but Nazis. Oh my god, it's planet, but, you know, uh, everyone's dead because of a plague. <laughs> but all the other ones were kind of implied that, like, that it was because some ship had showed up in the past and interfered with the planet's development. This one is just, oh yeah, of course they would evolve as a direct parallel to earth history despite you know all those you know random chances uh, you know you know you uh, know different geog uh, geography etc etc all those little things that would you know perhaps cause a different outcome to what happened mm. but, but anywho <laughs> this is a possibility aside so we've got a few guest stars this week so i'm just going to start reading through we have mm -hmm. William Smithers plays Captain R.M. Merrick, or Maricus. Maricus. He was a This Dallas. guy was in a lot of sci-fi B-movies in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Logan Ramsey plays pro-counsel Claudius Marcus, who he was a That's TV a actor title. in basically everything. Yeah. Knight Rider, <laughs> Knight Court. Murder, she wrote. Yeah, basically anything you've seen, he's been in. Mission Impossible. Um, here comes the brides. Um, lights out. I've never heard of that. Okay. <laughs> Ian Wolfe plays Septimus. He doesn't show up for long, but I thought this guy was interesting because he plays an older character, uh, old kind of uh, ex-senator. Uh, this guy was a World War One veteran who has oh, over there's... 400 film and TV credits, and his last role was in the 1990 Dick Tracy movie when he was 94. Huh. That's a long acting career there. <laughs> he died when he was 95. Yep. <laughs> Going right to the end. Yep. It's like, I mean, why not? Why retire at that point? <laughs> oh, he was in Wizards and Warriors. Still haven't seen that. That sounds fun. <laughs> Rodus Reason plays Flavius. He was in a lot of contemporary westerns, including playing a character in Sky King, the Flying Cowboy. Neat. <laughs> just a, I just, I've heard of this from other places. It is a short-running cowboy show, which features a cowboy who flies around in an airplane to spot cattle rustlers, then conveniently finds a place to land. 
and stops them. <laughs> ah, they're they're going up to that uh, that clearing up there. I can land it. Oh, they're they're changing direction. Um, I guess I'll wait until they find another. They seem to be. I think they've noticed me. They're, they're going to the forest now. Drat. <laughs> yeah, it's not like he's flying a helicopter. This is a full on like little prop plane. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's it. There's there's your necessary woman for the episode she gets like four lines in one scene yeah there's there's also some random background characters some of them with names there's the master of games guy and all that sort of stuff yeah there's too many background extras in this episode is what we're saying yeah (laughs) this is where they spent the budget on hiring people so yes i have a feeling this is going to be a shorter episode because this plot is very thin on the ground Mm -hmm. and the air is basically thin yeah, there's barely any space at all in this one. <laughs> Could use some more bread. Maybe, maybe some more more uh, jugglers and clowns, like a, a proper circus too. But anywho, <laughs> well, I suppose it's interesting since this episode is kind of stupid, but slightly entertaining. Bread and circuses refers to a type of politics in which the politicians promise entertainment in lieu of any substantial change to keep the population happy and docile. Yeah, you guys are are sufficiently happy to not complain about all these massive problems we have. That's good enough for me to keep my job and my head on my shoulders here, so hooray! Alright, okay, let's jump in. The Enterprise found debris of a ship called the SS Beagle, which is a survey vessel that went missing about six years ago and was commanded by a man that Kirk knew from his academy days named Captain Merrick. Oh no, the Beagle. Charles Darwin, no! The good news is this wreck shows no sign of crew aboard, so they calculate the drift of the wreckage and find themselves at an Earth-like planet in a mid-60s state of development, which is pretty convenient. Convenient, yep. (laughs) O'Hara picks up FM and AM broadcasts and projects some of them onto the screen. This is a black-and-white news program detailing... Uh, ongoing police roundups of well-treated slaves who are rebelling for some reason. And Mm -hmm. then turning to sports, we see a gladiatorial match. Hmm. Are they going to kill the guy? Oh, no, they're they're, they're stabbing him. Oh, no, this is is violence on television. This is a summary of the fight to the death of a barbarian named William B. Harrison, a man who was listed on the crew of the Beagle. I wonder if he's related to William Harry Harrison. Good. Henry Harrison. (laughs) After seeing this, Kirk decides that he, McCoy, and Spock, all senior bridge staff, need to beam down to figure out what in the world is going on. You know, as you do. You know, wait, didn't we have the ultimate computer just the previous episode saying, you know, certain people were unnecessary for these kind of missions? Yeah, and Kirk went, how dare you? (laughs) Well, hopefully Kirk doesn't get any trouble for this then. Mm, I'll show you how necessary I am to this. Weird survey <laughs> danger mission. Let's go be action men. Go. <laughs> they beam down to a rocky ridge side, and Kirk complains that they didn't beam down closer to the city where they would be noticed, but in- not inconvenienced. Yeah, I don't want to walk 15 miles. Come on, guys. They passively mention the Prime Directive about not interfering with things immediately before being shot at and captured. Yep. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Well, hopefully our being captured is not interfering with things. Spock comments on how all these people are speaking 20th century English, which is an amazing demonstration of parallel planet development. <laughs> okay, this makes no sense, but we're going to make it use as an explanation for why we don't have to everyone speaking in Latin. But you don't even have universal translators to hand wave. It's just, oh, wow, it developed English. <laughs> how quirky. Even though it's... Roman. Roman English. Sure. Eh. <laughs> you know, the Rome's, uh, Rome taking over the world, this world, you know, would probably have prevented the whole, uh, you know, you know, you know, migrations uh, to uh, the, the British Isles of their equivalents there, uh, such as the, the Saxons and the Normans later, and the, the twisting and merging of languages of the, the native sort and the, 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 the late early French there. And, you know, all that sort of stuff that would have prevented English from being a thing. Well, if you ignore the fact that Rome was a little bit protection-y and would have probably actively fought to keep its language from being degraded, 
I suppose if they take over the whole world and you're dealing with like a mix of all the languages of the conquered peoples, it's more realistic that it could have evolved into English, but still... Still rather absurd, yeah. Yeah. The crew is taken to a cave where they are talked at by the leader of these escaped slaves that have captured them. This is Septimus. He was an old-timey Roman senator dude until he heard the call of the sun. Praise the sun. Right? That's what you do. He tells Flavius, the really big dude who captured them, that he should stop wanting to kill everyone all the time because they are peaceful sun worshippers. Oh, 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 hooray, we're not going to be murdered, hopefully. McCoy comments on how weird this is because Rome didn't have sun worshippers. It's like, why would they parallel ancient Rome in every way except that now they have sun worshippers? Shrug? Because <laughs> it makes perfect sense. It's super, super logical that they develop exactly like ancient Rome on Earth, except that they all speak English and take over the world. But having one slightly Some... different religion is unthinkable. Yes. <laughs> well, I guess I could talk about, uh, you know, uh, you know, some of the early, uh, you know, s- s- sky gods and things like that and how they had strong associations with the suns in a few, some quarters of the world. But anywho. Well, they had a sun god and yeah. <laughs> people worshipped him. So I don't know where to go with this either. <laughs> what I thought was interesting is I was watching this with someone and she was like, oh, they're doing. OK, I see what they're doing. There, there is the the, the 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 subtext, but it only but the, but the pun only works in English. But we'll get to that later. <laughs> so all these were people who used to serve the Romans in a slave capacity, but they heard the call of the sun and all left to be hunted as enemies of the empire. Kirk tries to get information out of them, but nobody's going to trust him. Uh, he even mentions that he's looking for Captain Merrick, and they all go, "Oh my God, Merrick! Is he's the first citizen?" Oh no! Wait, wait, what? what? We another one of our people went and took over whole entire plan without telling us. Yeah, again. He eventually keep happening. <laughs> has the ship scan them and communicate how many people they're standing around, and everyone goes, "Oh, if he's got a walkie-talkie that can tell him how many people are standing around, we have to trust him." He's apparently a, a magic man of some sort. Um, hmm. I guess this changes everything. So finally, Septimus just. Tells Flavius to take them to the city where they reach the outskirts of the city. Go, oh, yes, I used to be a gladiator or something here before I heard the call of the sun. And then they all get shot at and captured immediately. Now, I, I want to point out here that Kirk and company, they changed clothes to get themselves in uh, the obvious slave wear with the, the chains on the, the front there. And I just have to wonder why. <laughs> I know they look... They yeah, do. we're going to go in in disguise, so let's dress up as slaves. You know, the people that are going to be captured and put to work right away and not, you know, just kind of looked at weirdly. <laughs> Even without that, like, you know, the people... If you are seen outside of the city, you will be considered a runaway slave and captured immediately. You may as well have worn your freaking uniform. <laughs> also, yeah, all the slaves wear workout clothes like sweatpants and t-shirts with a little insignia of a chain on the neck i, I guess it's at least it's practical so they're all captured by roman police in prison kirk yells but i'm friends with the first citizen go tell him i'm friends and the police officer goes okay i'll do that random <laughs> person i have imprisoned <laughs> okay, this makes total sense. Well, I, would, I would go do this now. All right. <laughs> and his, his argument is like, would you rather that he find out I was a friend and you didn't tell him? It's like, well, in that case, I'll just kill you now. And he never has to know. <laughs> well, that was an easy choice. Okay. <laughs> Kirk questions Flavius about all the slaves. He says that there did used to be more revolts in ancient times, but over time, the slaves got more rights like health care and pensions and they're now basically a social class so uh you know still some whippings but uh, at least you could retire someday i guess but then they started to hear about the sun worshiping and more and more slaves started to leave to go worship the sun so a religious movement and so now that's uh, and so they i guess don't want to work or is is being a sun worshiper 
going to get you killed? I'm seems a to confused be here. Uh, some guards come and take Flavius away to fight in the arena, leaving three guards remaining to take the crew to wherever they want to take them. And Kirk decides that since it's three on three, they should do the good old one of us is sick thing. <laughs> they do <Yep. laughs> every time they get captured. <laughs> so, uh, McCoy, um, um, you look really sick here, McCoy's a quiet. Oh, oh yeah, um, hmm, okay, um, <laughs> it's really obvious, too, what's going on. They manage to take out the three guards, who are dumb, and escape, but immediately outside the cell, <laughs> there are more guards with Captain Merrick. You see, it was a trap the whole time. Those guards were, I guess, in training for... <laughs> learning what not to do. <laughs> Merrick's in full Roman clothes, and he is accompanied by another man dressed all fancy that he introduces as his colleague, pro-counsel Claudius Marcus. He's not quite I, Claudius, though. If there's one thing that we know about ancient Rome, it's that everyone's name ended in us. So, uh, Gepwinus, how are you doing? <laughs> he already knows everything about who they are and where they came from, so they need to go somewhere to talk this out. Kirk, come on! They take them to a fancy dining room looking place and Merrick explains that his ship took meteor damage and they came here to find ways to repair. He then met Claudius and through him Merrick learned that this planet is incredibly stable and conservative and has not had a war in over 400 years because they are all appearing to good old fashioned Roman values. Or something. I guess you would probably not have a war if you have technically taken over the entire planet, but what are all those rebellions we keep hearing about? Yeah, there's, I think they're not drawing a distinction between war and revolt. Hmm. <laughs> so it wouldn't be fair for them to you know, leave this planet and risk other people finding out about their existence because they don't want dangerous newcomers with ideas to come here and challenge their stability. So you're saying that the Prime Directive, which they were talking about early in the episode, is not a thing. Then. And Spock goes, oh, that makes sense. And Koi is like, what, are you crazy? And Spock goes, yeah, but, you know, they haven't had your First World War or your Second World War or your Third World War. <laughs> and you all had slaves, too. So you, you, you humans kind of suck, just mm -hmm. what I'm saying here. Kirk keeps trying to get Merrick to tell him what happened to the crew through this whole big speech, and he finally tells him that he ordered them all to beam down, and the ones who adapted are alive, and the ones who didn't died in the arena. Well, this seems like a terrible uh, turn of events. Maybe we should leave. They probably should. This at, least yeah. they, <laughs> at least they were, like, a little bit realistic with this, because he orders Kirk to order the crew down and gives him a communicator and Kirk goes, okay, Scotty, beam us all up. And then before he can finish the <laughs> sentence, they all run out with machine guns. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, everything's good down here. Everything's great. Um, how are you? Also condition green. Mm. Yeah. So this time Kirk's not being stupid. And he says <laughs> all good condition green. And this makes Claudius really angry because he didn't order all of the people down. So he says, we're going to take you all off to die in the arena then. Oh, back on the ship, Scotty tells us through the captain's log thing that condition green is actually a code phrase that means we're in trouble, but don't do anything about it. Well, OK, then um, I guess we sit here for the rest of this episode doing nothing. I suppose it's a somewhat useful, but odd, oddly specific emergency code phrase. Yeah. <laughs> In the arena, which is just a TV studio with a painted backdrop of a coliseum and a few fake pillars, I think it. I think it's. I think it's just their studio. They just pulled back a little bit further than normal. Possibly, yeah. I mean, why? Why not? They set up a gladiator match, televised live with a fake laugh track and applause between Spock and McCoy versus a new gladiator named Achilles and their old friend Flavius. Oh no, we're going to be taken to Flavius Town. They have a projected fight scene where McCoy is very bad and Spock just keeps telling the guy he doesn't want to hurt him. Uh, McCoy is no good in a fight if he's not drunk. Kirk asks what the rules are and if they can help each other if one defeats their opponent first, but Claudius says that they think men should fight their own battles. And then he tries to goad Kirk into doing what he wants by talking about how barbaric they find these games. And 
I guess he's being deceptive, but he just starts smiling and goes, Oh, I've seen forms of entertainment in the galaxy that they make this look dull. <laughs> this is such such a pitiful display. You know, I'll tell you some real horrors out there. Uh, uh, but not right now. Hey, what's what's with the show? <laughs> yeah, it's I don't I don't understand what they're doing with Kirk in this episode. He doesn't uh, either. It, it's, yeah, it, it seems like yeah, you know, it, it does very much feel like he's trying to pull something here, but it really never never comes to anything. So I guess it's just sort of he's flailing around for options. McCoy falls, and Spock, seeing that McCoy's in trouble, knocks out his guy easily and neck pinches Flavius. This apparently is a foul. And Claudius decides that he's going to let Kirk decide whether they are executed now or if he wants them to live again and fight more. Well, if they keep fighting, maybe they'll become the top gladiators and then become so popular that if they were to, uh, you know, get executed off the off the television broadcast, that there'd be a, a massive public outcry because they're just so popular. And then there'll be a popular uprising. You know, we, we want Spock and McCoy, the, the ultimate uh, fighters of all time, and... And then they'll so lead to an overthrow of the state. All, uh, what? Oh, Kirk can't order <laughs> that his men are killed, so they get taken back to the cell. But Kirk is taken to Claudius's chambers instead. There, he is left alone and greeted by a blonde woman who's not wearing very much. And we think we know where this is going. Yep. So the next morning. <laughs> uh, we go back to the jail cell where McCoy tries to thank Spock for helping him not get killed. And Spock goes, it was logical. And McCoy goes, I didn't expect that answer for some reason. And I'm angry. Uh, there is, I guess, a little bit of uh, some interesting stuff kind of going on here uh, with Spock because McCoy is kind of pressing him hard. And then, you know, Spock kind of has this moment of maybe you're right, but he doesn't say it out loud. It's sort of more of, Implied as an expression. And then they bond over how much they love Kirk. So, yep. Yeah, they do some okay character stuff with McCoy and Spock in this. It's buried in a lot of dumb. So we join Kirk after he definitely sleeps with an enslaved woman. Good job Awkward. for you, Kirk. Mr. Slavery is wrong under any circumstances, and I will die to defend these values that I have. Yeah, I'm not going to defend this at all. Claudius wakes up Kirk and tells him that he does need to die, but he respects him as a man. So he wanted him to have a last night as a man. Also, Merrick, go away. I don't respect you as a man. Wait, wait a moment. You're a proconsul, and and this and, and Merrick's the, the first citizen. That tends to imply he's like emperor or something like that, right? You, I'm not sure how this is how the, the dynamics worked in Rome. Yeah, probably not. Though I don't think that first citizen or proconsul were actual governmental positions in ancient rome yeah, but, yeah, well, uh, i can go into the you know specifics of the proconsul stuff later but it is it's a title but it's sort of one of those more amorphous things mm. so also because of claudius's deep man love for kirk he's going to kill him and his crew very quickly now i guess he's not going to worry about the spaceship anymore yeah <laughs> Well, my pl my plan to get you to beam all your crew down isn't working, and they're not beaming down presently, so I guess we're in the clear to just murder you? All right. Meanwhile, Scotty has been sitting up there going, well, if I can't do anything, maybe I can do something. Yeah, Scotty, the most competent man in the universe, uh, you know, has is, is figured out a, a loophole, I guess? Yeah. He thinks that if they use something techno babbly ship stuff to disrupt the city's power grid and cause a small blackout that no one knows where it came from that will really show them who's boss yep <laughs> somehow but i guess let's go with it so kirk gets taken to the tv studio arena for his execution uh before he can be executed flavius runs in out of nowhere yells fight me and the guards shoot him dead flavius wh why are you even here that <laughs> this distraction lets kirk grab a sword off of guard and kill one and then coincidentally scotty puts his plan into action and turns off the lights so uh, when the other guards are start firing away they're like well we don't we can't see him we're just shooting in the dark oh we didn't hit our own dies kirk grabs a gun and runs off when the lights come back on, he is in the jail where he frees McCoy and Spock by shooting the lock off with the machine gun. I, I noticed, though, that he wasn't quite pointing at the, the lock itself, so he technically missed. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> he vibrated the lock with the gun. 
Yes. The bullets went very close to it, and that was enough. They are then, again, surrounded by guards. The guards go, oh, this is a crossfire. Pull out your swords. And Kirk... With his gun. Not in danger of a crossfire. Drops his gun, too. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I guess even in Rome, you have to have a fair fight. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're oh, you're not fighting with guns? Okay. <laughs> During the fight, Merrick pulls out a communicator and yells, Enterprise 3 to beep, uh, uh, because Claudius literally stabs him in the back. A2, Claudius. Merrick manages to stumble forward and throw the communicator at Kirk's feet as Scotty beams them up right before they are shot to death by machine guns. Oh, that was a wild uh, set of luck there. Um... So, uh, what are we going to do with this planet? It's been, I guess, sort of contaminated by Federation peoples, but not really, I guess? No one cares. Yep. <laughs> Let's just leave. <laughs> yeah. They're back on the ship, and they go, gee, it's so weird that those sun worshippers were nice, because sun worship is usually primitive and violent. Nahura goes, oh, you sillies, I've been listening to radio broadcasts. They don't mean the sun, the big ball of gas. They mean the son of God. And they go, oh, Jesus was here. Oh, my God. They're going to topple Rome. But later, that'd be cool. Let's go. So um, I guess we could study this happenstance, but I'll be for somebody else. They also were like, okay, it's fine. Great. A philosophy of brotherly love. But every single thing that they talk about is like, well, our Earth did bad stuff too. Happened when Christianity was a dominant religion. You know, Christianity you know, spread across Europe, you know, and uh, and then you know, there's that whole you know colonialism thing where Europe then uh, uh, you know, brought Christianity to lots of corners of the, of the planet, and you know, even to the modern day. And apparently, we're uh, due for a World War Three, uh, according to Star Trek here. So that's still going to be a factor, and yeah, so hooray, but at least the Romans are going to be done, done with. Yeah, it's a really weird, it's very, very strange how pro-Christianity this episode got. Yeah, just kind of... Considering the rest of the show, then how, like, at least vague, either vaguely or abjectively anti-religious it is. Mm-hmm. It's like, nope, it's a, it's a philosophy of brotherly love, it's all going to be fine. Christians have never done anything bad in the entire history of of the world. There's no crusades at all. There's there's no uh, you know persecutions of uh, of uh, you, know, uh, you know indigenous religions or, or or you know genocides you know in, when that didn't uh, work out so well. Uh, nothing like that at all. You know, no using it to justify uh, human rights abuses or you know, you know all that all that sort of stuff. None of that ever happened, right? And it's a weird, I guess this is like one of those ancient Roman myths that people just have, that Christianity started to seep in at the corners and was this little weird cult, which at some points during Roman history it was outlawed and was a weird little religious cult. Not necessarily something that was only practiced by enslaved people. It was just a weird little cult. And <laughs> But then later it was legalized. Romans were actually very open to other religions through most of their history and at some point it even became the dominant religion of the empire yeah you know uh, you know rome was like oh you got some cool gods over there yeah just add them to our pantheon it'll be great the only particular problem they had with christianity was that it was a monotheistic religion and they were a polytheistic society exactly and so there's you know some you know incompatibilities there but otherwise they're like ah. <laughs> and overall rome was very multicultural, open to other religions and peoples. And it is weird. If you look at this episode and they're like, they, you know, Rome has taken over this entire world. Um, everybody's white. Yep. <laughs> well, might it just be that they're in the, the Roman equivalent of Southern California? Yeah, it could be. <laughs> but Romans didn't really have this concept of racial divides. That was a thing we kind of started doing later. You know, it's like, well, you know, this person is from this part of the empire and we're all Romans, so hooray. In fact, there were discussions and laws made against uh, racial discrimination because there was uh, constantly other parts of the, of 
the empire was expanding, so other countries and territories were constantly being brought in, and the argument was, well, we all, senators, us, used to be members of cultures that were previously not part of the empire. So mm -hmm. if we say that these people that we just brought into the empire are less than us, then we're saying we're also less than the people who were here before we were. Indeed. So let's not. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so you get a sort of, you know, a, how I'm, I keep forgetting this word. Um, it's not brotherhood. Uh, it's a, uh, never mind. I'm, let's you know, move on. <laughs> uh, there's, I think we have to, even though I don't want to have to go over slavery again, but it's kind of the, you know, it's kind of the, the overarching thing of this episode. I guess to a certain degree, this, the, the slavery as being depicted is a combination of slavery as we understand it in the modern context and sort of the having a, a, a lower working class. Uh, and it's sort of trying to combine the two into sort of like, well, this is like a modernized version of slavery, so it's less bad despite you not really having a choice about what you're doing in it and all that fun jazz. Yeah, well, there's a weird one with the, like, it gives you, they give you rights and pensions and whatnot, which I guess they've turned it into more of a, more of like a caste society than an outright slave mm -hmm. society. Um, but I think there is some, some usefulness here because I did a little bit of research before this episode on Roman slavery, and I had fallen prey to some misconceptions that I think are pretty common that uh, Romans had like a different kind of slavery than later societies did. Now, while it's true that in antiquity, especially during the kind of Greek and Roman eras, slavery was just a thing. There were no free states you didn't have areas where slavery did not exist it was a worldwide phenomenon like every culture had slaves mm -hmm. um now there is a distinction that was being drawn in the literature i was reading between a slave society and a society that has slavery you know, uh, you know, I'm gonna make a, a guess that one is a society. You know, the SA, one is a society that is highly dependent on slavery, and one that just happens to have it as well. So, in other places, there were sort of like slight protections and some things. Like slavery took a lot of different forms. It was usually uh, captured enemies. You'd usually go out in a war and you'd defeat your enemies and you'd kill all the women and children and you'd take all the men back as slaves. That was the ancient Greek model. Yeah. And uh, at, at that point, like, yeah, you could have uh, people born into slavery and you could have uh, lost or abandoned children taken into slavery and you could be sold into slavery by your family. Those were kind of the predominant means of being put into a slave state, and uh, they all kind of suck, really. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, just think about your, 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 your like your parents are like, well, we're we kind of want to like pay these bills over here, or maybe get a new car, so we're going to sell you into slavery. What? Now the distinction that gets drawn is there are only two uh, societies in ancient history that could definitionally at least be considered slave states to say that something over 20 percent of the population was uh enslaved according to a quote that i found from a historian named keith hopkins who wrote conquerors and slaves in 1978 uh so if you go by this definition which is uh you know something around 20 20 to 30 percent of the population is enslaved and the wealthy depend predominantly on slavery to produce their wealth then the only two ancient societies that you consider could consider to be slave societies were athens in greece and rome in italy so uh you know that that, that uh you know the athens that foundational uh you know uh, government that was responsible for democracy had some issues you could say but it was still chattel slavery in these societies you didn't have this is just a social class these were people being considered property with the owner having ultimate rights over them in all 
cases of bodily autonomy. Mm-hmm. And they could be sold, paid off, used to pay off debts. They could be basically bartered as a currency, which, which is... also draws a slight distinction from something else that early Rome had, which is uh, draws some interesting parallels to early America, which was debt bondage. Mm-hmm. Which is basically saying, like, I'm going to give... It wasn't so much a loan. It was more, I'm going to provide for some of your material needs as someone wealthy. And in exchange, you're going to pay this off by working for me. Uh, but these, the in Rome, at least, the debt bonded didn't have... There was basically no distinction between someone in debt bondage and someone in slavery. And it kind of died out as the empire became more established and the fewer debt bonded people they had the more enslaved people they had it's kind of an interesting swing there which is an interesting almost exact parallel to early america except Mm -hmm. for the racial component which i think is incredibly important because we had completely racially based slavery in the united states and you know other european cultures of that time Uh, Rome didn't. Rome had conquered peoples, and while you would list a slave's origin, something called like a nato, I believe, I can't, don't know how to pronounce Latin super well, um, which can be translated as race, it might be more correct to translate it as tribe. Sorry, you go up to, uh, say, modern-day Belgium with your army, you, uh, you know, you can fight a little battle here. You capture some people and it's like, oh, yeah, these are where this people come from. This is a particular tribe. Uh, and uh, and that's what you, what you got for, your, for your, your notifications here as far as where this person's from and what they're about. So you you had what I've heard was hearing described by some historians as proto-racism, where, you know, people from certain areas were enslaved and considered lesser because of that. But it wasn't because of their like race or skin color. I, I remember, uh, I forget who, who, who was talking about it, but uh, it was about Roman slavery specifically that the they started, you know, that there was sort of certain value put to slaves from certain locations uh, because of the, the reputation of folks in those lo- uh, locations being good at X, Y, or Z. Uh, and so you might, it's like, oh, well, I, I want someone who's good at, you know, uh, teaching my kids things. So I'm going to find myself a slave from Greece specifically because I hear they're real smarty pokes uh, pants over there. So this will be a, a good investment, that sort of thing. Uh, but that might be something like that. Yeah, that's exactly why it was legally mandated that you had to list a country of origin. Now, you did have some things like being born into slavery, like a, an enslaved woman, any children that she had were automatically enslaved uh this didn't apply to men because it was harder to track lineage that direction indeed uh but this is the thing with non kind of racially based slavery is once uh once like a conquered people was more established into roman society or uh someone could become free in this society it was rarer than people make it sound it was largely held up as sort of a myth to encourage slaves to work harder if you work really hard you will become a free person later seriously we're gonna totally remove those manacles you got and you guys got here for realsies yeah it did happen but it was not as common as it would be you know kind of mythologically encouraged but once you were out like you were out there there's kind of this thing of like how in uh in like early immigrants in america like you know People from Italy and and Ireland and Scotland were considered non-whites and were like given fewer rights and were were discriminated against. But after a couple generations, how are you going to tell? Because you don't really have the distinguishing characteristics to go off of. Indeed. So you get integrated into the society that way. Like you, there's no realistic way to tell the difference in order to discriminate against someone unless you're like very directly tracking family lineage. And not everyone's interested in keeping big charts about you know themselves or other people like that. So yeah, and you even had a thing in Rome in like old paintings and stuff that historians have to be very careful about, where you did have 
like black Africans in the empire mm-hmm. because the Roman Empire extended that way, and also there were traders and things coming in from Africa because at the time it was actually a very prosperous uh, place with a lot of things to trade. So you had you had slaves from Africa. You had you know black slaves in Rome, but. It, not, you, not every person that you see in a painting who is black was a slave, which is a distinct difference from like early American art. Where it would be, you know, very, very, very rare for you know, you know an African uh, a person in American, you know, uh, depictions at that uh, stage to be a free man. So yeah, there's a distinction to be drawn because completely racially based slavery has a lot of associated societal problems that we're still dealing with like racism yep. but both forms of slavery in ancient rome and as compared to america and the united states and the european slave trade treated very similarly it was the same kind of chattel slavery there wasn't really a distinction apart from once the slavery you know once slavery ended in some of these other societies like you didn't have a signifier to go like, well, you used to be the enslaved people, so we are going to discriminate against you. Yes, well, it's like, well, you're kind of just like all the other random people here, so eh. So it's kind of the difference between like how bad slavery is as a concept and how bad racism is as a concept. Mm-hmm. You also had a few interesting distinctions in like how free people actually were in ancient Rome with elected officials having like complete unquestioned power over life and death and things like that yeah there is some some funky uh sort of power dynamics going on there uh maybe this will be a you know give me a moment to talk about pro consoles if you like yeah and it's also i should mention it's very hard to summarize something like rome because it is a (laughs) is a amorphous blob of an empire that existed for thousands of years and of course changed drastically throughout that time period okay because you got sort of the, the the roman kingdom which is like before 500 some bc and then they got rid of their kings and had the republic and then you know eventually the whole uh you know transferred the empire with the, the, the whole caesar thing jig going on there and you got an empire and then it splits in two and then it kind of gets back together and splits in two again and the western bit falls apart, and you got the eastern bit, which we now call the Byzantine Empire, up until like the 1400s, and yeah. So there, there's a lot in there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, so, so this, this one, the one guy there, uh, Claudius there, he was uh, uh, described as being a proconsul. Uh, do, you, do you get what? Do you know what that means? No, I did find counselors, like consulars, possibly, were a kind of elected official. You'd have like two councils, and they were at, at least in one point in Roman history the two people like in charge of everything unquestioningly until they were out of office. Yeah, they, they, you know they were elected you know, generally yearly uh, during the Republic era, uh, and they were kind of kind of like being a super president or something like that. Uh, but there was two of them, and they sort of had checks on each other. That if one made decisions, the other one could, uh, like the next month, be able to reverse it, that sort of thing. Um, and so, you know, that was, and so it was a very important position during the Republic era. Uh, and and so the, those, and but you're only in it for a year. And so then the people that were the former counselors would uh, be, you know, be potentially given the the title of proconsul, and they would be uh, sort of, you know, assigned various uh, tasks or uh, offices. And in in a, in a certain vague sense, becomes sort of uh, agents of the consul, uh, and so you know this implies in this episode that this proconsul guy probably answers to a consul. Um, but this changed up a little bit as far as uh, things went, went during the empire era, because the office of a consul stopped actually mattering as much. It's still important, but it became more of a means in order to become a proconsul. So you'd want to get that as early as your career as possible so that you could become, you know, someone who actually matters a proconsul, uh, you know, later in life. And you're able to uh, go and have certain duties and or become like a governor of, of province or something like that. Because uh, that was sort of became a, a requirement for the, the next level job. And so what used to be top billing was now the means in order to get to a, a position of power, which is kind of interesting to me. 
So it kind of changed from like the way we still address people as senator or president even after their term is up mm-hmm. into you had to be a pre- you had to get elected president first and then later you could have the good job. Yep. <laughs> you need to be president before you could uh, become the uh, uh, I got I don't know what would be a good example here uh, the secretary of defense or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, might seem kind of backwards to us, but that's kind of how it was working during the Empire era, and and so uh, the and so uh, the, the but a lot of the sort of uh, uh, trends and pressures definitely sort of changed how the uh, career progression of uh, of, of the you know uh, uh, the the ruling class in Rome uh, sort of had to operate, and it's, you know, as you know, we already mentioned it. There's this whole amorphous thing that is Rome, and so you know, going sort of just lightly on this stuff there's a lot of stuff in here that i wouldn't have any time to really go through here so so i figured you know that'd be a sort of a good opportunity to sort of mention that this this is a weird office (laughs) yes and it's it's difficult because the only sort of thing that they even say in this episode is that slavery's bad or maybe rome itself was bad which is an interesting take Mm -hmm. that apart from that they don't really do anything other than oh look kirk has to fight people and we need to escape and that's the end of the episode so (laughs) all you really have to talk about is ancient rome because of how much stuff they got wrong yep (laughs) that's also an interesting one it was a bit amorphous like throughout the empire obviously and through history but they go weirdly heavy into the Roman ideal of being a man. Be a man. Do I don't know, not fear death or something. They're very iffy on it, I guess, so that you can just put your own masculine bull onto it. We're going to be over-the-top manly men here and um, and be all about facing death and getting laid, I guess. Yeah, though the getting laid is an interesting one because while the Romans weren't Greeks, they were still very gay. I was like, yeah, you, 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 uh, you know, you like guys? Okay, that's cool. <laughs> like, there's some accounts that it was also cons- uh, possibly considered manlier, and again, weird historical accounts, wishy-washy stuff. Like, really long span of empire. This, this ebbed and ebbed and flowed here. Mm-hmm. Okay. But there's a decent chance that, like, in a Roman Empire, like if you were considered super manly, he, like, Claudius would have tried to sleep with you, not sent his slave girl in. And, uh, I guess to a certain degree, you know, it's it, you know, you know, Claudius maybe even has a crush on Kirk, but he's maybe not thinking Kirk was interested in him. So, meh, maybe that's what's going on here. Possibly, I just it's something that they weren't going to address. Yeah, because you know, sixties. <laughs> but you had to keep up this myth. Like there's people now who are, who like keep this up as a myth because Rome is supposed to be like a foundational part of modern modern. Uh, america and the united states and basically european culture generally we we got more than just uh, the roman architecture in our various capital buildings but people want to ignore the parts of roman society that you know are thought of as unmanly or american like being gay so uh you know i guess it's another sort of example of uh pick and choose uh you know things from your traditionalism sort of a uh, you know uh, you know uh, sources there in order to emphasize the things that you want to actually have matter now yeah this is something that ticks me off generally because i like learning about history and how things kind of ebb and flow naturally mm-hmm. through historical things and it really ticks me off a little bit when you hit something like this where we're going to justify a bunch of kind of crummy viewpoints because of history, but not actual history, like half-remembered mythological history. Indeed. You know, might as well just make it up at that point. <laughs> One of my key criticisms of a lot of the ways people think about stuff like uh, evolutionary psychology right now mm-hmm. and, and historical imperatives and things, because you're not using actual history or actual archaeological evidence you were looking at how things are now and going well in history this must have been important well if, if, if you are going to make this claim you need to do a little bit more backing up here of uh, what's what you're doing here uh. yeah i've heard just a lot of people do these kinds of things of like well now we have like strictly enforced gender roles so that must have been important in history it's like or you could look at anthropology and see that strictly enforced gender roles weren't always a thing 
Some cultures they were a little bit, others not so much. So what does it make of that? Or are you not going to address it at all? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably that. <laughs> probably that second one. <laughs> I, well, that's a very big bee's nest to get into, but I, it ticks me off when when things like this use history to justify stuff, but they're not using actual history. They're taking now and saying this was history and therefore justifies now. A, a, a version of circular logic that involves fabrication mm. and mythology. So yeah, Rome, it was weird. <laughs> yep. People don't necessarily understand it very well. I, I guess in you know, several episodes recently, we've been doing a lot of sort of demystification of things like this. This is getting kind of weird. Yeah, well, this show's very mystifying of mm. history in a lot of ways because it's trying to... It's doing this thing, this old modernist take of the world is unchanging and has always been this way and that is why the world is this way it's kind of lame when you think about it <laughs> i mean they even do it with this whole um parallel development thing yeah, this is the only way things can progress and there's no alternatives and uh yeah and that just mm. riles me up even with the alternatives that they had even with this like minor change that the roman empire stayed around longer and took over the world like Christianity is still an inevitable thing to have evolved and come in and topple the Roman Empire. Also, raises some weird theological questions. Mm -hmm. Like, where did this Jesus come from? Did it, did it happen just after? Is it the same God? I don't. Did, did, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'd, I'd be interested to ask. Like, I don't think a lot of like actual like Christian theology accounts for multiple jesus sees well maybe maybe jesus jesus left earth and instead of going to heaven first he went to a bunch of other planets and uh you know and, and played out similar events and he, this is just one of the more recent planets he got to yeah possibly <laughs> <laughs> yeah they don't say how old this religion is yeah and when, you know, it's, uh, if is it, going back to what we we're you know, talking about, you know, there's sort of the stage where Christianity was sort of this fringe cult sort of thing going on. Maybe it's at that stage, so pretty early on. So that means pretty recent then, which means mm -hmm. that Kirk and company could be could go hot off on the trail off uh, after uh, Jesus as he moves from planet to planet. <laughs> they seem to be. <laughs> Though that is another thing to mention, just offhand. They talked about how there were a few slave revolts and things in this era. And slave revolts actually weren't super common, even with as bad as it was in ancient Rome, uh, primarily because there just wasn't an alternative. There was no free state to model yourself off of. There was no expectation that you would ever be in a place without slavery. The documented slave revolts that they had were about freeing a group of people who were slaves. Mm -hmm. It's like we are, you know, want to be free men and we are going to revolt and try to get ourselves to be free. But then we'll, we'll go back into society that has slaves because that's just what is. Yeah, it's slavery for ourselves, but not all slaves. Yeah, freedom for all slaves wasn't even a concept. It was a much more later thing. Also, the early Christian states still had slaves. Yep. Because everyone did. Yes. <laughs> hmm, so, bad news, everybody. A lot of things that happened in history kind of suck. They're also different than what you're expecting. That's why you need to actually learn history. Yes. Helpful. <laughs> Uh, I, I guess maybe, you know, we could touch on that very briefly though, how sort of the image of what people think learning history is about is kind of terrible because it doesn't have to be like that because you know, history can sort of be a series of dates and locations and important figures, or you can sort of, uh, you know, put it together as it actually kind of happened as sort of an ongoing story where th various things and factors lead into each other, but there are interesting events going on in the world. And you know, sort of to look at, you know, at sort of the, the, the ebb and flow of it, the sort of the, the dynamics, it's much more interesting than that sort of rote listing off of things. Yeah, I always liked history as a flow. Yeah, and, uh, people are, are, are doing things in history, yes, but they're also doing them for a reason. And so to... You know, you know, sort of ignore that in, you know, in preference for just knowing the facts in very limited sort of sense is doing people a disservice and does lead to 
people misunderstanding what's going on. And so when they do hear and encounter the sort of mythologized, um, mythologicalized version of history, they get these sort of, you know, the, the things that are true mixed up with the things that aren't true, and that can cause problems. Though I do think that, like, we have a slightly idealized way of thinking about this because you, you can look at history as like a flow of things but i don't know there's a quote from from terry pratchett that i like that is uh contrary to popular belief history is names and dates and kings and wars <laughs> like other stuff is just things happening one after the other because you have to acknowledge that interpret looking at history and interpreting history and deciding what parts of history to look at is a subjective thing that's going to vary depending on who's looking at it and who's interpreting it and who's telling it even something like i was talking about like where a slave comes from even translating that from latin it can be translated as state country of origin tribe or race and depending on which translation you use it's going to color how you read the text mm-hmm a certain amount of interpretation like even when i was when i was doing my joke intro for this episode like i you can have you know watchers as a word mm-hmm. be something like watchmen like the custodes quote but that's not the way we are using that word because that's just not the way it translates in english like observatories means observer which is not technically the same thing as watcher but it carries the same meaning as what we're using yes so even trying to translate something from one language into another has a huge amount of interpretation and you're going to hit that when you're dealing with something like history so you know it's very important to understand you know the, the, you know, the context in your own sort of, you know, limitations on, on reading the, uh, the uh, you know, on what was, you know, the, you know, either the interpretations that came later or the, uh, you know, original sources on uh, bits of information. Uh, otherwise, you're going to run into problems where it's like, well, I'm going to, you know, brashly go with the first uh, definition of all this stuff and suddenly this doesn't mean what it was intended to be because I missed all the context. Yeah, like what is the, what are you even going to look at with this? If I translated our intro... And you have observatories costs, that's observers of tomorrow or observers of the future. Yeah. If I had, you know, um, custodes costs, that would be watchers or watchmen of tomorrow, or it could be guardians of tomorrow or a million other things. Yeah. <laughs> so, Gepwin, are, are we going to do, uh, defend the future? Yes. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> I guess it can be that both. <laughs> That's just an interesting thing to remember because we like to talk, like we talk about history a lot and mm-hmm. we bring up these things and we do have a certain way of looking at history that isn't just like, well, this guy was brought into power in 18 minutes, but that's still just a way of interpreting it. And it's a still just a subjective interpretation that we're using based on our own experience. We can't have a version of history that's not that even if you invented a time machine and went back and looked at history you'd still be looking at it from your own perspective yeah it's like well i'm observing these events but i am not these people so i do not understand the the, the full nuances of what's going on i guess it's maybe a, a good call then to uh, for our listeners to when you whenever we sort of talk about you know history and things like that we you know to encourage them to uh you know look into the stuff for themselves and uh you know we can be a, a good gateway t- to learning more as opposed to the end, yeah. you know, the, the end all be all on this stuff. Well, there's two things. You should always do your own research and you should listen to a bunch of different interpretations exactly. and then come up with your own and then also realize that everything you know about history is probably wrong. Yep. <laughs> I, I'm, whatever this particular point comes up, I'm always tempted to break into that Weird Al song, but I'll, I'll hold off for now. <laughs> While I was doing research on this, I was trying to find research on Roman slavery and several places mentioned that, like, you know, we have accounts of this mm-hmm. from wealthy male slave owners, and that's it. We don't have slave accounts. We don't have female accounts. Like, even the few things that we have that were, like, written by ex-slaves on this are still men. Mm-hmm. We don't have. We simply do not have a, you know, female slave perspective of ancient Rome. It does not survive. It did not exist. 
little absurd when you think about it, but it's still, it's like, okay, I guess that is indicative of something about the society there. But it also limits our ability to get the full full view of what's going on. Yeah, there's a bunch of things like that. Like if you look at everything we know about medieval history and the way we assume people acted and the way that the like uh, caste systems in feudal societies worked are all written but records from lords. We mm-hmm. don't have we don't have accounts from people who lived in the lower classes because they couldn't write. So, you know, remember where you're getting your information. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, there's many a bias source out there, and that means all of them, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's not just bias because the person who wrote it is biased. It's bias because of who was able to write what survives. Yep. Even just the things that wear out. We don't have, we have no idea what uh, Paleolithic people wore as clothing for the most part because that doesn't last as much as stone tools. Oh, I, I... Yep, when I know for certain that they all wore go-go boots. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there was there was almost certainly a wooden age of tools yeah. that we know nothing about because those tools wouldn't have survived. Yeah, they, they've all decayed and turned to dust. Unless someone was smart and, and put some in a tar pit somewhere. Hmm. <laughs> Quick to the tar pits! <laughs> all right, I feel like we've been banging on about historical inaccuracies for long enough yes (laughs) we don't have anything to talk about in this episode since we have to make up our own thing so that definitely means we kind of meander for a while so maybe it's time to shift gears possibly is it time for the galaxy's favorite game show Hey everybody, we've tallied up the points once more and we have a few winners to this week. And uh, Gepun's here to help hand out the prizes as per usual. And so let's get right to it. The uh, the high score on uh, for this one is, uh, once again, uh, an entire planet. It's the Evil Twin uh, Award, which goes for yet another double Earth on this planet that I don't remember if we got a name for. Because it's just so similar to Earth for in so many ridiculous ways that, you know, it, it, it's basically a clone of Earth. So an evil twin accounts, and it's also kind of terrible, so it's also evil. So, yeah, what does it win, Gepwin? At this point, I think it just needs a different award, because <laughs> they're not evil twins. That this, They are at least quintuplets. Hmm. True, true, true. So uh, the quintuplet, <laughs> uh, uh, evil quintuplet award, there we go. Well, they go out of their way to say it's not exactly the same. So it's cousins, cousins. identical cousins. <laughs> Our second uh, you know, uh, victor here uh, is getting the Slaver's Paradise Award, which goes to Claudius Marcus and a lot of the locals for having had a, and having been both party to and enthusiastic supporters of slaver in their society and all its brutal awfulness, even if they give them social security pensions, I guess. You know, it, it's weird. But what do they win, Gepwin? They win the It's Just Capitalism Award. If Surprise. you're giving your slaves social security... It's just capitalism. What a twist. Ho ho. <laughs> also, that's somewhat socialism. Yeah, it's, it's less capitalism. <laughs> it's it, it it doesn't make sense. Anyway, <laughs> our last award today is the uh, show within a show award which goes to Kirk uh, McCoy, Spock and Flavius for being parts uh, being part of and stars in the Gladiator show. What do they win, Gepwin, for being on a show? That is in a show that we're talking about on our show, in our game show. We went too many levels. Oh no. <laughs> show Inception. <laughs> Boom. I get some kind of Roman Emmy because I have noticed they're better actors when they're on the show in a show than they are in the normal show. Yeah, you know, they're, they're having to dodge the people swinging swords at them. You know, they're a little bit more in their element, I guess. I- Though they also should win a fight choreographer. Hmm. They keep thinking that the fight scenes in the show are exciting, and they're not. <laughs> We're going to sort of do- dodge and weave back and forth, occasionally swing at things, and uh, occasionally clash our fake weapons together. You know, that sort of thing. So uh, that's all I got for this week. Uh, wasn't much else I could do, I guess. I guess that kind of fits the episode, though. It was some stuff that happened. Take it away, Gapwin. Well, so all of our Romany contestants for joining us on... The galaxy's favorite game show! Woo! 
Alright, we got another weird time travel episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this is an assignment of some sort where we time travel. It's supposed to just happen. Yeah. Alright, this is a very weird one. Yeah. Because yes. we are hitting the end of season two. This is the last episode of season two. It is called Assignment Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're definitely going to go into more about it next week. But at this point, there was a pretty good idea that Star Trek was going to be canceled before it got renewed for a third season. Oh, no. That means we wouldn't get Spock's brain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. What a tragedy. So at this point, Gene Roddenberry went, what if I write an episode that has a cool couple characters that we could maybe start a spinoff series with? Hmm. Sneaky, sneaky Gene Roddenberry. Thus, we hit Assignment Earth, where the Enterprise goes back in time, meets up with a weird time-traveling, possibly alien secret agent dude and his cat. Uh, I do appreciate uh, TV shows that have cool cats in them. Maybe this would have worked. Hmm. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> All right, I don't know. I, will, I haven't seen this one in ages. I kind of remember having seen it a while ago. I, I don't think I've like ever seen this one. So One of those anomaly episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, this is, uh, so this is the, the fourth pilot, I guess we were going to be encountering then in total on this show. Yeah. Kind of. It was written as like a half pilot spinoffy, which is interesting. It's, it spawned a lot of comic books and other things and some books and like an alternate history explanation for why we went through the nineties without hitting the eugenics wars. So what you're saying is this is our pivot point, our, 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 uh, our key bit are, um, uh, you know, a, a divergent point in history. Kind of, according to Star Trek, anyway. So I guess we get to blame people for, uh, you, know, you know, of the future for, I guess, saving us from horrific wars, but no Star Trek future. You don't get Star Trek future without the eugenics wars and World War Three. I guess. That was pivotal to the invention of warp drive or something. Does that mean we get, like, a different sci-fi future? Like, uh, Probably. Like Mass Effect or Babylon 5 or something like that. Oh, well, I guess it's something to think about later. <laughs> All right, next time, it's the final episode of Season 2, and then we got to figure out what we're doing after that. So We'll have some plans. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Come back for Secret Agent Fun next week on Watchers of Tomorrow. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow... How many pilots does this show, ha show have anyway? You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>